Hello, and welcome to the July 2018 episode of the Wiley Society podcast. I'm Anna Ayler. Last month in Washington, D.C., we held our annual Wiley Society Executive Seminar. At the seminar, we heard from a wide variety of speakers with different perspectives on the future of research communication. In particular, we talked a lot about the role of research in government and policy and how research communication will be funded and supported in the future. When I say the words research communication, you may think first about how research gets to publication in a journal, how other researchers access and share that information, or maybe how research is used to inform and influence decisions or becomes the basis for government policy or other ways that research put in practice creates impact. You may not think of research communication as a form of international diplomacy, but in fact it is. And in our increasingly global world, science diplomacy and diplomacy for science, more on that later, is more important than ever before. So we were especially delighted to have Lisa Brody, Director of the United States Office of Science and Technology Cooperation, join us to explain what her office does and how integral science is to advancing a government's goals, like making sure its citizens are healthy, secure, and have access to good jobs and safe consumer products. So what is science diplomacy? Let's listen in on Lisa's presentation at the Society Executive Seminar. So yes, uh, in my office, research and research communication are at the core of what we do. Because we work internationally, we deal with research communications mainly as science diplomacy. We advance scientific goals with international partners and integrate scientific processes and results into policy decision making. Which scientific goals we prioritize and how we communicate these priorities, as well as how we translate science into policy metrics or objectives, all hinge on good research and good research communication. In other words, we need all of you. Diplomacy is largely about building relationships, and my office does just that. We build relationships, and we facilitate the relationships of the U.S. interagency and we try to do that for American universities as well. We facilitate that relationship between science and technology experts as well as science policy makers, decision makers, and we advance American access to facilities and partners around the world. Lisa's office and the work her staff does is dependent on having access to solid research. In other words, on a strong community of researchers producing high quality and relevant work and societies are critical to supporting those communities. But it's not just about enabling American research. Now that I've outlined some of the ways in which we view science in our government domestically, we can move to the specifics of science diplomacy and how we look at science-based interactions around the world. Science diplomacy is a broad topic, so I have a couple of different frameworks that I'd like to discuss with you, as well as some examples. So the first way we look at this is um, sort of two sides of a coin. Science for diplomacy and diplomacy for science. Science diplomacy is a term you've probably heard of. We use it to talk about how we can use our international science relationships, our partners, to help us achieve our national goals. 
Diplomacy for Science, on the other hand, acknowledges that America doesn't have the monopoly on ideas, talents, or resources. Cooperation with other countries is essential, especially in the sciences and in technology and, of course, in innovation. Because of this, the Department of State works to connect American scientists to international scientists in order to conduct the best possible science. Another way of conceptualizing uh, science diplomacy in general is thinking about the role of science and technology in the four Ds, discovery, decision-making, development, and diplomacy. So to recap, there's science diplomacy, which is all about creating and strengthening international relationships to advance national research goals. And there's diplomacy for science, which is diplomacy working for the greater sum of our worldwide scientific knowledge. Lisa went on to explain the four Ds of diplomacy for science. Discovery means facilitating cooperation between scientists and facilities to ensure the best science. One example of how we facilitate discovery through international scientific cooperation is the APEC Science Prize for Innovation, Research, and Education, the ASPIRE Prize. ASPIRE recognizes young scientists who have demonstrated a commitment to excellence in scientific research and cross-border collaboration, which is key. We are so pleased that, that Wiley, actually, in partnership with Elsevier, sponsors this prize. The prize is currently in its eighth year and has covered topics such as new materials technologies, technologies for food security, disaster risk reduction, intelligent transportation, sustainable ocean development, health innovation, and green growth. This year's topic is Smart Technologies for Healthy Societies, and it will be awarded this summer in Papua New Guinea. Uh, which is where the APEC meetings are uh, hosted. And this is a topic that was chosen by New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, as something that is um, particularly important to their population. The second D in science diplomacy is decision making. So decision making is integrating science into policy making, which means stronger, more informed decisions. One of my favorite examples of uh, decision-making also is, is that work that I did in, in Geneva with the International um, Framework for Global Climate Services. And the reason that we got involved in that is that, as the IMO, as it's called, um, wanted a meteorological organization, thank you, um, as, as it wanted to start looking beyond weather, which is really only one or two weeks out, into climate, um, they wanted to be able to give a, a vast array of services to decision makers so that if your um, monsoon is changing or the, the rain is, is greater in Uganda, does a decision maker put a hospital on a hillside where it's likely to get swept away or do they put it somewhere else? But in order for those scientists at the IMO to know what they should be looking at, the decision makers need to feed that information back to them. What is it that they want to, to decide on? And, and there has to be an exchange, and, and that's something that um, doesn't necessarily happen well. There tends to be, here's your data, whether you like it or not, and the decision makers don't know what to do with it. So the more that we can perfect that exchange of information and just the, the basic communication as to what is needed and how do we get that information, what should scientists be looking at, all the better. So, Diplomacy for Science Discovery focuses on bringing scientists from different countries together to work on a common problem, taking advantage of the very best resources and facilities available 
wherever they are in the world. Decision-making, as the name suggests, is about bringing the best science to bear on important policy questions which impact many different countries. And the final two areas, development and diplomacy, let's go back to Lisa. Development um, means connections and utilizing science to facilitate the development of solutions to the world's grand challenges. This is distinct from discovery because discovery is working together to develop scientific research and scientific outcomes. Development might be a solution that doesn't at first glance appear to be scientific, but solves a scientific problem or leverages scientific or technological resources in formulating the solution. And a good example of this is our work on pandemic influenza preparedness framework, or the PIP. Um, ex one example is vaccines to combat diseases. To identify, test, and manufacture vaccines that can combat viruses such as influenza, you need samples of those viruses. And since the virus is always evolving, the flow of samples needs to be rapid, timely, and systematic. The flu virus is also notorious for its wide geographic distribution, so samples from a single country leave us with a partial picture. International cooperation in this case is not a nice-to-have aspect of flu vaccine development. It, it actually underpins the entire enterprise. We worked with the World Health Organization to develop something called the Pan-Endemic Influenza Preparedness Framework, and um, in, in committing to PIP, uh, countries committed to also share virus samples with the WHO-sponsored network of labs which support vaccine development. The flu, vac the flu virus vaccine manufacturers also made commitments to provide funding for WHO training and capacity building activities in those countries. And, and this is a very unique public-private partnership and a great example of how international cooperation can support scientific development. Um, and then the final D is, is diplomacy, using scientific cooperation to improve international relations between countries, integrating traditional political and or economic diplomacy into scientific diplomacy processes or outcomes to ensure success. Science diplomacy doesn't operate in a vacuum. It's um, often traditional diplomacy that needs to be integrated both into the process of cooperating on science and in the solutions or outcomes of that cooperation even if on the surface that cooperation and those outcomes appear to be only based in science. And the State Department has several tools we use in our science diplomacy efforts. Uh, and, and they're mostly relationship-oriented. No surprise there, given, given that it's diplomacy. Um, we have American Association for the Advancement of Science, AAAS, fellows. We also have a program with um, science envoys where we have uh, key uh, American scientists who um, in their own capacity work with us to travel around the world and talk about science um, and, and their work. Right now we are about to start a cohort of envoys who are covering air quality, innovation, uh, two aspects of public health, both Zika and the global health security agenda. Um, and there's a fifth one as well, space, space commercialization and technology. Uh, in addition, we have embassy science fellows. This is a great one. So we asked the embassies to present a proposal uh, as to how they would use a science expert in their um, embassy with their host community to further something like air quality or 
or health or the what, whatever. These proposals then are given to all of the um, technical agencies who are interested, and we often then can match uh, a scientist from EPA to go work on air quality in New Delhi, things like that. So it's a great way of getting science into the, into the embassies. So throughout all these science diplomacy efforts, communicating science and research are crucial. Being able to understand how science and how research fits into our larger government goals means that we're able to take science and leverage it to provide more secure and more prosperous lives for Americans and the people around the world. Lisa started out her talk by emphasizing the importance of high quality relevant research to the work that her department, the Office of Science and Technology Cooperation, does. Sometimes it's easy to get lost in the day-to-day -day and forget just what wide-ranging, critical impact research has in the world, even in the arena of international relations. Lisa is a representative of the U.S. government, of course, but she works with counterparts in many different countries around the world to develop relationships that promote science diplomacy and diplomacy for science. I personally find it rather inspiring that the research we publish together is so crucial to improving the lives of people in my home country and around the globe. That's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again next month. Until then, I'm Anna Ehler. Our editorial advisory group includes Alexa Dugan, David Nicholson, Sarah Phibbs, Deb Wyatt, and Nielsen Turner. Our theme music for this episode was provided by Jason Shaw and edited by Dennis Velasco. You can listen to other episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing to the Wiley Society podcast in iTunes. You can also sign up for our mailing list to learn more about what's happening at Wiley and other news and trends in research publishing by going to exchanges.wiley.com societies.